Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome back, everybody, to this bonus edition of the convention conversations. This is the last installment of said conversation. This was the last conversation to be had on the final day of the NWTF convention and sports show 2023. Uh, I sat down with Giannis Patelis of Meat Eater. Uh, Giannis was on site uh, doing his own turkey story gathering. Um, he had a spot <clears throat> down by our seminar rooms where folks could sign up. Uh, they, I think they did a pre-sign up with Giannis and uh, told their stories. And who better? Turkey hunters, right? We tell some pretty phenomenal stories. And they're often uh, colorful and energetic and well-received. And I think uh, anybody pretty much can tell a good turkey story that, uh, that's been at this for a bit. And we all sit there and consume it and just wait for it. So I, I'm sure... Giannis is going to put together a heck of a show with the content he was able to gather, but he and I get to sit down and, uh, man, we, we got into a couple of good conversations here, line of thought, and, uh, it went super long. So we made an extra bonus episode out of it. So we tackle, uh, cooking taxidermy collections, wildcats, man, we covered the, the spectrum here, but it was fun lighthearted and it was uh it was a nice fun relaxed way to to end uh 36 37 interviews uh in a, in a matter of a few days with just um so much energy momentum electricity you've heard me say that for the last three shows um continuously so that doesn't stop here fun conversation uh with Giannis coming up 90 seconds let's go Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. This is it. This is the last 
of the uh, 2023 NWTF Convention Sports Show Turkey Call All Access Podcast interviews, and we are joined by no other than Giannis Patelis of the Meteor Crew, who also spent most of the weekend engaging in turkey stories. Yes. I wasn't. Lots of turkey stories. <laughs> uh, it was good. It was a marathon, as you can imagine. I think we the final tally was 41 stories that, that we got over the Holy course smokes. of three, three days. Um, most of them were probably in the 10-minute range. We had a couple that might have gone 25, mm-hmm. went, went a little bit long. But um, it was interesting. I was expecting, like... 10 to 20% really good. And then I didn't know what to expect from the rest. We ended up getting 10 to 20% really good. Surprisingly, there was a, the middle 70 or 80% were, are definitely above average. So I think we actually That's walking good. away with better content over overall than I thought we, we might yeah. get. We really only had a couple of duds. And, um, you know, so it goes. Not everybody is born a storyteller. Sure. But uh, I can tell you what, it definitely held true. Nothing against Northerners. You know, I was born in a <laughs> semi-Northern state of Indiana, grew up in Michigan. But uh, the Southerners tell stories better. Uh, from right out of 41 stories, I can say that. Out of my experience, yeah. uh, they're just, they like come out of the womb knowing how to spin a yarn. <laughs> it's amazing. I think it's just, <clears throat> we're so directed uh, up, up in the Northern reaches. I don't know what that uh, is a function of, but it tends to be the, we're just very direct. Mm-hmm. No. And you think it just limits like the details you want to tell. In the I, story. I suppose it's what, how much you're into the story. I mean, some people are just directing to the point. Uh, I went out and did this, did X, Y, and Z killed the bird. And it was pretty much done by six. And I went home and went to work Yeah. or down here. It's like, you get to know about the gas station interaction, the breakfast that may or may not have been had that would have been had uh, every rock that was probably kicked on the way in the snake that ran over their feet. And then subsequently the, the bird that they got onto. So yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying completely, but it's awesome. Like I, I love the storytelling culture of, of the South. Um, I didn't experience it until I met my wife and I was early twenties and I went to, she's in from North Carolina. I went to meet uh, her family and got to meet her dad and I mean, I'm sitting there having beers with my future father-in-law, just like, holy cow, everything you say is exciting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is just great entertainment. You know, now I've heard every story 20 times. It's different. But uh, those early years, I was like, this is incredible. And then as I met more Southerners, as my world expanded, it's it's kind of held true. So uh, anyways, it was great. I'm really happy with what we with what we gathered. And I hope that once we get it out, you know, to the world that uh, everybody else will see uh, not only the entertainment value, but the oral history value and, and that we've collected now. Mm-hmm. And it'll be there for for future generations, you know, to know it seems it is current now. But in 20 years, people will have something to look back to and go, oh, look at what the turkey hunters of 2023 were talking about. Yeah. It's it's a rich culture in history, as you guys well know, and you guys have talked about before, and, and certainly we do, and we understand it. And I, I agree with you. I've been, you know, when I started this project back in 2017, um, beyond the fundraising component that initially I saw very short-sightedly as a regional director, because I was like, oh, I can, I could do this, and I can, you know, kind of make mailbox money through some sponsorships and stuff, and that would be pretty awesome. But then I quickly saw the power of this recorded history that we're doing and i was like man the one thing we get knocked on a lot um is is the ability to tell our story our success story nwtf specifically conservation story um but then turkey hunters so when i was a regional director 
I didn't know any of the history of, of our area. It was never passed on. And so when I recommended to the volunteers that we have an award banquet to recognize um, our, our leaders, our volunteer leaders, but then also uh, a hall of fame to put people into to kind of understand our history. So you can start figuring it out and then passing this on. And then once that started happening, we started digging and there were so many wonderful stories and there was so much, uh, angst that that was around uh the repopulation of the turkey in, in the new england states and it's, it's, it was just amazing i was like i can't believe we don't know any of this so i like you i uh, totally agree like there needs to be a recorded history of this the way we're doing it now and it's you know i guess as long as the lights are on and the internet is a thing it'll live out there in perpetuity right. always telling the story which is awesome yeah and if you if you don't take time to record it Two things happen. One, it can just uh, disappear and, and no one's going to know those stories. But then two, someone else can tell your story for you sure. and, and rewrite history. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we there's plenty of cultures that that has happened to. And, you know, I think there's a lot of us that think that, you know, the hunting culture in our country is a, a little bit at stake. And so I think that by doing this um no one's else gonna get to tell our story and not going to say oh no back in 20 years ago in 2023 you guys weren't actually doing what you're you're saying you're mm -hmm. doing now you know it's like no look we you know we'll, we should have this evidence you know that we're collecting here now yeah. so that's what i like about you guys you're very uh, uh, anthropological about your approach to things and your interests and i and it, and it, it boils down to just proof like we were here, we did this, and I, I like that way you're you're framing this. Like in 20 years, what we're what we're turkey hunting doing in 2023, because we can certainly go back and say in 2020, uh, in 20, in 2000, before the world got flipped on its head, like turkey hunters were looking at turkeys going into cardboard boxes and being released and this big mm -hmm. hullabaloo and this excitement, and that was easy to latch onto. Um, but now, what are we doing? What are what, we're looking at population declines in certain parts of the country. People have concerns with that. Uh, it will history will note the names of Dr. Mike Chamberlain and Brett Collier over and over again in this last three year span because they are the prominent voices in turkey science right now and and working with other um, scientific professionals and the, and the, and the leaders. Um, for years to come, I met so many of them in Asheville, North Carolina, at the 12th uh, Turkey Symposium that typically occurs every five years. This one was delayed by two because of the pandemic. Um, there's so many young professionals that are a part of what they're doing mm -hmm. that will lead us into it. So I, it'll be interesting, like you say, to know what we I think that will be part of it. The uh, population decline. What did you know? Was there a common theme in your stories? There certainly was. Um, I think that. <laughs> Yeah, had we had more time and I think that had people come in with maybe a better idea, because this is the first year we've done this. It's, it's an experiment, right? Mm. Um, but now that people have done it, they might come back next year and give us maybe more of a historical perspective. Because, I mean, we uh, had stories from plenty of people that were, you know, in their 70s that have an, an amazing historical perspective, you know, that I don't have. Right. But we it's, it's hard to get into that in 20 minutes. Right. But. Certainly there were themes. We heard a lot. And I think this is cool because it shows what we value because it's what you choose to tell somebody else. The first timer stories. I mean, that's honestly 50% of them, mm. right? Like people love that story, whether it's their first turkey or it's someone else's first turkey. And then right on the heels of that are the mentor stories. 
it, it, it's it's kind of one and the same, but mm-hmm. not. And, and the different perspectives of whether you're being mentored or you are the mentor. Um, and then thirdly, I probably say the third most common theme is the one that got away. Yeah. And I, again, without the one that got away, it's not really fun. Right. Right. Like it, it, everybody, if you just slam, it doesn't matter what it is. Ducks by the, you know, your limits every day or your turkeys every time you go out or you get a deer every day, you know, like the challenge is obviously not there anymore. I think that that's the, one of the cool things about us as a community is like, we love these things that are constantly humbling us, constantly challenging us. And we're not afraid to be like, yeah, I got whooped like seven days in a row. Yeah. Or, I mean, we heard stories of people hunting the same bird for four years. I've heard those stories. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. That's dedication for sure. It is. It is. And Sometimes it, but, I wonder, and, you, and you're good for this, is challenging those stories too when I hear them. Like, how do you actually know? Like a deer I can buy into, an elk maybe. <laughs> sure. How the hell did you actually know that that was a particular turkey? It, it it's, it's, it's. But they're uh, convinced, right? They're convinced committed to it oh 100% 100% and um, I've never had like a turkey that I've hunted over multiple years but I've, I have felt at least that like I've hunted the same we actually did an episode where Maggie Smith and I hunted together and we chased a bird that we named Sneaky Pete yep. and we were on him I don't know four out of five days maybe five out of six days after that ended I literally we broke down, took everybody home, and it was like a two and a half hour drive from my house. I told my wife that night, I'm like, I'm literally going to eat dinner. I'm going to bed because I'm getting up at two. And I'm going to go kill that bird. And I hunted that bird like four more days. And he, I mean, he was always in the same tree. Well, maybe it was a different bird. Maybe. It could be. I mean, Mike Chamberlain will tell you, just like he tells you about Adrian. He's like, mm-hmm. either they're one year old or they're two or older. There's no other way that you can tell unless you've got right. a tracking device or you've or you've marked them somehow, right? And it go, probably goes the same because we know, you know, according to Mike, that turkeys move around. They roost in different spots. But I don't know. When you feel like it's the same turkey that beats you every time yeah. and he's always on that one ridge... It seems like it's the same one. Interesting, the, this one that we heard that he called this bird the boss, that when he finally killed him, the bird weighed like 15 pounds. He said his breasts were shriveled. He said he actually had the indentation on his breastbone that he it almost went through to his back from sitting there and riding on that limb. And he said just where he where he roosted, it was like a really windy point. Mm. And he just figured that bird was just hunkered down on that limb and literally, you know, rode a wow. crease into his breastbone. But the bird was so old. I mean, he was 15 pounds. He was still the boss. He was still, you know, he, he the guy said if he didn't gobble, no other bird will gobble on that ridge. But once that bird would, if he would gobble one time, then everybody else felt like they could gobble too. And uh, yeah, he finally killed him. But the thing was literally so old that he was down to 15 pounds. Holy smokes. Just this old timer, you know? I definitely feel awesome that story. way. It's a great story. I can buy into that, that, that line of thought, like in a single season. I couldn't see a season to season uh, continuity there, but I would... I would say, yeah, I'm in well, on that. Y- you should, because it's fun. Well, I know, right? I'm not, you know, oh, certainly. Yeah, we do, we do, well, we're turkey hunters, right? We do this to ourselves all the time. Totally. With, totally up in the ante all the time in this constant uh, measuring of, of things, quantifying them with slams. And, you know, a, a slam wasn't good enough. It was, now we got to do a world slam or a royal slam, and that wasn't good enough. So we got to go to every damn state we can and kill them where we can. 
And then that's not good enough. So let's go to Canada and kill him in all the provinces. Um, and then you can probably go to New Zealand and we call it the Lord of the Rings slam. Uh, kill him in, in, in New Zealand. And then I think Germany's got some as well. And they, we just can't get enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that translates to all the other hunting communities like it does here, which is why the stories are rich. Yeah. Maybe I'm showing my yeah, bias. You, I mean, you rarely ever hear. I mean, there is a thing called a North American deer slam. Right. And it's actually kind of fun to go and think about doing it. Right. There's some cool deer to cool chase in cool places other outside of the white tailed deer. But I've like it's been years since I've heard it mentioned. Right. (laughs) And then there's the uh, the squirrel slam. We Helen got into that <laughs> the other day, and she's still in pursuit of it because of you. It's just great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I mean, that's. I've been thinking about it this week too. Seeing this group of people here, uh, it's great that it's the turkeys are available to everybody in forty nine states. Yeah. You know, and I know it's harder for some than others. You, you know, whether it's lack of access or more or less public land, and 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 certainly. Uh, how financially well off you are it certainly it even plays into turkey hunting but that being said it's still very available to so yeah. many people and that's a great part about turkeys the barrier for entry is not yeah. as steep as others. it's hard the the hunting itself is extremely hard i think yeah i mean i've been at it for 15 years and i just barely feel confident enough where i would say hey fred come with me and I could probably put you on a bird. Yeah. You know what I mean? It took a long time of a lot of hunting. That that That's a great point because that situation, that scenario can be more intimidating than just doing it yourself, right? Because of the pressure of performing. You sure. Know? And all of a sudden your, yeah. your ego starts creeping up the back of your neck and like, okay, I've put myself out there. I'm going to invite someone along. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope to make this happen or at least put them on. That was, that was you and me a couple of years ago before the... The damn pandemic hit when you guys were touring. You guys were going to come up there to New Hampshire, and uh, you guys had a date in Boston, and then uh, that's right. Things went went the way they went, but that, oh, was, man, you know, that had, was my I thought. Had, I was like, oh, geez, there's a chance you guys are going to come up here and film this. I, I hope I'm on my my number here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the turkeys show up. Yeah, they and I knew they were there. I mean, they're they're still there. Same birds from four years ago. <laughs> right, <laughs> still riding that same windy limb. It's a uh, no up there is good. There's there's no lack of turkeys. You guys should, me or not, you guys should still find a way to make that happen because that's a that's a hoot. That's a lot of fun. I, I have a goal now of hopefully every spring hunting one new state. That's cool. Yeah, this year it's Florida. Oh, nice. So uh, Florida, yeah. your Osceola. Yeah, yeah. Might as well. Yeah, it's kind of pointless <laughs> not to, right? Well, it's challenging though because access. Well, we, we drew there. tags. I, I don't even know if I should be saying this on the air, but we there's some WMAs that you can apply for. And it took us four years, wow. you know, to get these tags. We applied as a group that might have made it harder. But, uh, you know, I figure if I'm going to travel that far, why not wait for four years and get a tag where uh, it's going to be good hunting? Yeah. Like there just won't be as many people. And so the, the, the wildlife management area is controlled. It's a controlled hunt. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So that's great. Our host down there doesn't seem to think it's going to be too, too hard. Yeah. So I never go in with, with too much confidence, no, especially when it's with a turkey. <laughs> but no. uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So this year it's Florida. Maybe next year it'll be that uh, northeast part of the country. Yeah. I can point you. What's cool about there is you guys got a lot of states real close to each other. Yeah. So you can do some hopping around pretty if, easy. If you're on your game, man, I mean, you can you could go to the east 
three corners or you go to the west three corners, I call it. You could plug a bird first thing in New Hampshire, skip over to Massachusetts real quick. If you can get it done by noon, that's two birds and then run over to Maine for the rest of the day because they have all day hunting. That's it's a grind. But and you can, you can and do, do, do people do that? Is Hell, that, is that yes. like called like the Northwest Corner Slam or whatever? So we have the New England Slam and then people again up in the ante, there is the single season New England Slam, which uh, my good buddy Brett Ledoux, who's a, a fantastic caller and competed upstairs, uh, he has done at least once or twice. And that's insane, too, because you are just. I mean, New England itself, geographically, is not a huge space, but it does take a while to get around and then to get to uh, places you can hunt because you need to get further south. Uh, the, that colonial land sharing tradition doesn't exist like Rhode Island and Connecticut east of 495 belt in Massachusetts going towards Boston. Like you just can't roll up on land like you can where I was telling you guys, if it's not posted, you can play on it. I see. Which is, you know, a, a unicorn as it is now because everything else is owned, leased or posted. Right. And it's challenging. So that's that's a gem for us. You know, it's nice. And I would hate to see it go away. I don't suspect it's going to last forever because there's what population centers moving around again because of the last couple of years, those those same tendencies and mindsets of these other states that have those tendencies are they're starting to come right it's like man you come here but please leave that bad stuff where it is like every time i hear a lease pop up within my circles like you guys gotta stop saying that word around here because there's a ton of money up there too you know out, out like out west there in that bozeman area there's a lot of money and mm -hmm. people are like oh, i'll just buy out yeah and you won't be here and that's like yeah oh so I don't know. You, you hope it doesn't happen, but you got to kind of face the reality of, of where we're at, too. I don't mean to be down on it, but I'm just trying to be a realist, too. No, you have to. But I think there's a, there's things that can be done. I think that if you talk to the right people ahead of time and, and you know, tell them about the values of keeping land yeah. open for the public, there's plenty of people that have the money that uh, can get on board with that, you know, and want to want to keep that tradition alive. There is, there is, you know, we have an immediate, I don't know how this works in other states, but I know for my state, there's uh, incurrent use uh, incentives. So there's different levels of incurrent use, but basically as long as you leave your land open, you get a tax break. You don't mm. have to pay the taxes on those acres. Yeah. And some of those people with large contiguous acre blocks of 200, 300 acres, which is a lot in my area. I know that's like backyard for you guys mm -hmm. out West, but that's a, that's a lot of money in property taxes. So sure. if you're not paying that, it's advantageous. Like, yeah, go ahead and walk on my land. It's, it's no big deal. I'm hardly out there anyway, which is most of the case. These are legacy farms. The, the owners are in their seventies plus. They don't do anything with it. Oh, we have just a little bitty chunk in uh, Wisconsin. My dad <laughs> and I share and, uh, yeah, we're in a managed forest law program. I mean, one, it's cool because you get basically help in, in managing your forest. Yeah. But two, yeah, we pay almost zero in taxes, yeah. which is wonderful. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants a tax bill on top of other tax bills? Yeah. Oh, it's it's simmered down. I think the entire population of this place is either at bars or they're in that ballroom right now. It's, well, I can tell you what, I went by that ballroom just as I was coming down here and there was four lines all trying to get into one door. Like it's going to be a big night. Yeah, it looks like which is great for us because there's that's our, our grand national auction. And it's a super fundraising event. And that's cool. I think, uh, man, I got some really unique hunts. I know that five number five vest the fox vest i think it's number five they donated one of those and wow then, and then they loaded it up with like 
10 custom calls, like, you know, like a Mark Prudhomme trumpet call. Mark was in here and he's a he's he, 17 titles he holds between call, call, calling and call making his trumpet sell for 500 bucks starting. So like, wow. I'd love to run your trumpet call, dude. I think trumpet calls are neat. I'm kind of in on them, but I $500 for that trumpet call plus $500 for the vest. And I even bought my turkey license. Yet. But well, that's how crazy we get. From what I've heard, um, I've heard of, I was, we've talked to people that stood in line and got their mm-hmm. Mr. Fox vest. And then I heard the amount of money that was being offered them in cash to take it off their hands. So do you have a guess as to what number the number five vest is going to go for? Does everybody know what we're talking about on this podcast? They they will. Like this, the the information has gone out. So when this podcast hits the airwaves uh, shortly after convention, they're all going to know. I've heard numbers, estimations kicked about that that thing could go for 50 grand tonight, maybe more. I know some of the ones that are walking that walked out of here of the 400 they made available. I heard numbers of $2,500 cash. I heard 3000 yep. that were just paid on the spot. It's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> like, who would, could you imagine such a and thing? What's interesting too is I talked to somebody that got one of these. And I'm thinking for sure you're just going to hang it up in the closet and yeah. it's just a collector's item. And they're like, oh no. I'm like, <laughs> great. I love to hear it. Uh, I'm not a big collector guy. I have the like opportunity and maybe that's why, just because I have so much gear come mm. across my desk and my porch. But, uh, I like to keep my program simple and tight and I try to give away as much gear I can to people that are going to use it. Mm. You know, that's what I want to see. I mean, what does a rifle do good for me just sitting in my, in my right. gun cabinet? I, it's just not my thing. I and mean, if you're in a, if you're a collector, that's cool with me, but uh, I like to see stuff getting used, people right. getting in and out there, you know, there, those are two competing lines of thoughts. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's, um, specific to turkey hunters, but sh- surely they they encourage it. Like a, the custom call making contest that we have, and there's legit works of art out there. Oh, 100%. And they are instruments. They're every bit of like if you went to a guitar center and bought some whatever a Gibson guitar for whatever that money is, like that's what these are, right? But they're meant to be hunted and used. So there's competing thoughts that you're buying this beautiful box call. Yes, but it's a well-made quality box call that will kill turkeys. You should use it. And others are like, nah, that's a work of art. It's right on the shelf. And a lot of those call makers, like they want you to, they want you to use, they them. want to use them. Yeah. 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 Make sure to like the Tim Oldens and the Dave Constantine's that are sculptures functioning box calls somewhere within the art. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if I drop five bills on a box call or a slate. I don't know. I, and I would have a real hard time putting it in my desk. Well, it's been interesting to learn about collecting recently. We've had some taxidermists on uh, the <laughs> Mediator podcast and collections. A lot of times are especially taxidermy. It's only valuable to the person that made the collection, yeah. you know? So when, when you die, you, even if you, if you don't have an heir that oh. is really into box calls, oh. like I can't even think, you about know what that. I mean? That's, so you better have a plan for that stuff to, to, to my, go, to go to a good place. Cause your heirs might be like, ah, you know, whatever box calls, we'll just sell them on my way down here. So I got here Tuesday. So Monday night, I'm laying in bed with my wife and I turned to her and then the world's all topsy turvy and I'm, I'm giving her the, 
the bug out brief and stuff. And it's like, listen, I'm going to be down there. If the lights go out, more balloons come over here and one of these actually pop and things go, <laughs> the lights go out. Uh, here's everything. I'll, I'll Rick Grimes my way to you from Nashville. I'll just start walking, but uh, don't let anything happen to X, Y, and Z. And if I die in this, this terrible balloon Holocaust, uh, don't, get rid of my mounts. They go to my son and she's like, it's all going in the trash. And I was like, please God, you can't say that. I, I just refuse to die, I guess, just so I make sure he gets them. It's <laughs> like, there's so you have no, how, what equity financial sweat at all is into these collections. It's sad, but true. It is. And we only, we're the ones we're the end user value. Well, yeah, I I think especially especially with taxidermy, if you're not the person that uh, killed that animal and then went through the process of picking the form out and what posing all that, it just it just doesn't have the same value. It's in the way. I mean, if it's a booner, booner, right, then maybe, you know, because someone's going to want to put it up in their gas station or, or in their man cave and to have a booner. But. 99% 99% of the animals on people's walls are not booners. And so I had an interesting conversation with a guy. Actually, he, um, uh, Steve uh, makes Matrix Targets. You familiar with that Target brand? Mm-hmm. Great bow target. And he lost like 90% of his mounts. They were all in one barn and a wildfire came through, burned his barn down. And he was bummed out, but he's like, you know what? When it was all said and done, I just... I sat back and it made me, you know, step back and and have a different look at it. And he's like, in the end, there are things. Sure. And what's important are the experiences that are in my head and the memories and the people that I have around me. And uh, it certainly hurt. But again, it really made him step back and, and say it, they're they're cool, but they're not that important. Yeah. Yeah. Of you course. Know? I mean, perspectives, everything. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Berg. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. think of all the turkey fans that could just go to waste <laughs> i don't do you throw turkey fans away i can't do it i now have <laughs> i swear there's probably more weight 
in turkey fans in my freezer <laughs> than there is turkey meat. Yeah. And again, it's right before turkey season. So most of the turkey meat's been eaten up. There's only a breast or two left, you know. But uh yeah, I have a hard I have a hard time throwing turkey fans out. And what I do now actually though is Right now, I actually have two drying and I should probably pull out another two or three, spread them out and dry them because I'll just take them on one hunt and wherever I go, I leave them with somebody, you know, because I might use them to fan a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I just a lot of times carry one if I want to have one to use as a fan. But uh, people love turkey fans. You don't have to be a hunter to appreciate a yeah. turkey fan. So a lot of times someone just comes over and, you know, I've got two or three kicking around. And again, I'd rather just have it go somewhere and someone appreciates it, even if they only hang it up on their or put on their mantle for a little while and it doesn't live there forever. But again, yeah, it's it's hard to throw away a turkey fan because it is so pretty. Can't do it. Yeah. I had a buddy last year um, that I hunt with and he uh he shot a bird and I shot a bird on his property later on that day. He's like, yeah, just, <clears throat> you can throw the, throw the carcass over there after you're done cleaning it out. I said, okay, thanks. So I took all the bits that I wanted and I found his bird and it had the fan on it. And I'm like, this is blasphemous. <laughs> I pulled my knife out and I cut the damn fan off and I had it. I you're took like his sweet bonus. Fan. I took his fan with me and I'm going to mount it for him. I'm going to do some cool things and give it to him as a surprise present. Um, but I just, value systems right i just like it like, didn't make any sense i have way too many turkey fans myself i have nowhere to put them i just gotta keep keep building them out breaking them down. i break mine all the way down to the feather yeah so they're meatless and then oh I, you do in the field no i bring it back home but then i i wash then it you do it i treat it i scrape it and i rebuild the whole thing and then i put it back together and it's I flatten them out. You use like a Bondo product yep, or something? I use Bondo. You do? Yeah. And it's... Every yeah, fan. Every fan. <laughs> oh, it's, man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then when I then when I get into the caping one, so if it's a real special bird and I cape it out, like for my kid, or if I shot like... I shot that Merriam's out in Montana. It was just a beautiful cape. I was like, I can't... I, again, values. I can't throw the cape away. I got to keep the cape and the damn fan. and Break the whole thing down. And then now this cape's waiting to be put back together with this tail mm-hmm. and... Oh my God. Turkey stories. Yeah. What do you do with your, uh, I heard a good uh, rendition or a good recipe for turkey legs and thighs that I had not thought of or heard of yet. So you, what's your go-to for the legs? I'm pretty lazy, but I just low and slow in the crock pot and then whatever I want. If I want vinegar and barbecue sauce, or I just put barbecue and ketchup when you know, whatever, sure. just let it go. Turn it into soup, whatever. You kind of do whatever yeah. with it. Yeah, these folks are telling us that their favorite way to, uh, to do legs and thighs is the same thing, crock pot, low and slow, pick it apart, chop it up fine, and then they make basically like a chicken salad out of it, except turkey leg salad. I've seen that. Yeah, 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 that yeah. makes sense. You know, some mayo, some celery, yeah. whatever you want in there, and I'm thinking, oh, like my kids love chicken salad, so winner, winner, turkey yeah. dinner, man, I'm, I'm I, pumped. Again, another thing I'm compelled to keep that I don't want, I really don't want to, but I was like, I can't waste these legs. <laughs> Another the, damn thing. The meat or the for the spurs? No, no, the meat. No, the spurs are always coming home. Even if it's a Jake, they're coming home. It's it's this is the more I say it out loud, the more ridiculous it gets. And I'm looking at you laughing because he's just getting into all this. He's new. So right. he's taking all this in. Totally. But yeah, no, the legs gets because no one. I mean, my kids will eat it, but it always ends up being a lot. And like you do the you can only have so many pulled pork style turkey sandwiches on brioche buns. And it's like, man, I'm starting to get heartburn from all this. Barbecue, barbecue sauce golly days yeah. but it's it is good the meat eater uh turkey pozole recipe that's in the main meter cookbook yeah. highly recommend that one okay it's a nice it. change it. of pace for the legs okay cool 
Um, and Hank Shaw actually has a really good uh, carnita recipe for legs where okay. he does he like once they're cooked and cooled then you actually fry them i usually actually if i have it i'll do it in bear, bear grease oh. and fry it in a cast iron skillet get it a little crispy and then you basically just finish that meat with uh like the squeeze of an orange and then like i don't know a tablespoon or two of honey and use that as like taco meat and it's that awesome. sounds legit all right i'm in on that yeah it's really good that sounds really good i did turn mine into fajitas that's good it changed things up different spices mm-hmm. kids like it what about the feet those come home with you the whole thing does yeah but like, i know these dudes but, with the, but, but you throw the feet out or you keep the no, feet? i keep them i dry them out i put them in i have a special dehydrator just for the turkey feet and then they lay down in it. I turn the dehydrator on. And I let them get all hard, and uh, and then I, I shellac them. I spray shellac them. They look beautiful. Every pair. Mm-hmm. And then what? Then they go on a mount, or I just hold on to them with the beard, <laughs> the associated beard. So I was gonna add, that was my next question. <laughs> Still, every beard is coming home. Every with beard you. has to. It sounds really dumb when I say that. I just, I just, I've just become a purge guy. And uh, that's one of those things. My like, wife wishes I would be a purge guy. <laughs> and, and what's even crazier is all this stuff is relegated to my one room because she hates all of it. And when we bought our house seven years ago, they had this big extension on the back and working from home. She's like, this would be a great office for you. It's like 200 square feet of an office as an executive suite. I was like, yeah, that, that would be a great idea. And then she's like, yeah, you could hang all your dead all over the place mm-hmm. so and I, in one I, room and it's a good thing i haven't elk hunted yet because i don't know where i would put it but the bear like like clay i just i just case skin them all out and just tan them because i i couldn't i couldn't have half body or you know full body mount bears i just run out of space it's crazy but yeah bear too that's why i didn't hunt a bear last year it's like oh I, I don't need another bear skin but i do want that meat hmm collectors i'm a, I'm a collector Are you? i can't help you're it. in that group all that group. yeah it's all right like i said man to it's each, fun to though it's, it's, it's part of it right so it's everything about this week is about celebration it's about the positivity of our our pursuits our community the fun and it this has been probably the funnest the funnest convention i've been to and i've been coming since 2014 that's cool to hear. What made yeah. that, you think? What it's just made the it energy, fun? the people. This everyone's a good mood. There was, I didn't hear of people getting out of control. I didn't hear of bar fights. I didn't hear of any stupid crap happening downtown, bleeding over into here. I didn't hear of people, you know, fan reaping this, no reaping that, or this is that, <laughs> or this is that. Like there was no controversy. It was just Everyone was celebrating and happy, and that's I like that. Yeah, that's just good. fired up. The turkey season yeah. is only a month away, and then we're just we're rolling right into it. And in a couple, of, Florida, their youth season kicks off the end of this month, right? Uh, I think we're right we're, we're hunting on March second in yeah. Florida, so it's, it's quick. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm super fired up. Normally this time of year, all I'm doing is every night in bed, you know, watching like a 20, 30 minute turkey YouTube video. <laughs> and then during the day, I got calls in my mouth, you know, all the time. And my wife's already like, yeah, because it starts in January. And then by the end of February, she's like, dude, I still got like a month or more till we go turkey hunting, you know? I'm like, I know, I got to be dialed, you know? But uh, the lion hunting has just been keeping me. Uh, dude, I'm glad you brought that up. Has been keeping me uh, distracted from turkeys. And you have your own hound. I do. 
Yeah. How's that? It's awesome. Dude, he's such a chill dog. Like, we didn't know what we were getting into. I wasn't planning on getting a hound. My girls literally called me on the way to a shelter, and they go, there's three blue tick coon hound puppies. We're going down and check it out right now. My wife's like, yeah, you want to be a part of this, you better get down there. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what happens if you go to the pound and there's with puppies. On. Like, we're not leaving without a dog. So you've already made the decision, <laughs> but I'll show up. <laughs> the guy literally opens the door to this kennel and just shoves my two girls in there, latches the door behind them, you know? And so now they're just getting, like, bombarded by these three puppies. And I'm like, yeah, we're not getting out of here. And uh, so, yeah, the universe gave me a uh, hound dog. I'm like, all right, I guess I need to start chasing something with this thing and so yeah he he can catch coons he hasn't caught a bobcat yet on his own but uh this year he's caught uh five lions did you have to go through like a rigorous training regimen or you just pick up on it i wouldn't call it rigorous those dogs want to chase or not chase but they they want to follow a track yeah you know they want to follow scent the most of the training came in teaching him what not to chase. What so how not do you to do track. that? Because I've seen that where they the dog knows this is just it's in the oh, 100 percent. It's funny because some things just don't interest him. Like a coyote, I might have. He wears a shot collar. A coyote, I might have buzzed him one time on. And he was just like, OK, I get it. Wolf tracks. I've stuck his nose in wolf tracks over the years so many times. He literally couldn't. He just looks at it like another dog. He's just like, I'm not interested in chasing a dog. Hmm. Right. Well, so, but if he was interested in the coyote, do you think they know that they know that's a predator that would eat him versus the no, coyote? No, I literally, cause I mean, he has a very like just, you know, ambivalent, aloof, whatever you want to call it. If he's not interested, he's just yeah. not interested okay. at all. But like a fox, we just haven't come across a lot of foxes in the short three years that we've been running together. But in the past three weeks, I think he's come across three really fresh fox tracks and he goes bananas. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, and I don't like to t- to shock him unless I'm 100 percent sure that sure. he's actually on the wrong track. So I've got to find where he hit the track because a lot of times I just hike. And so he's just free casting around me mm-hmm. and I had to go find the track and go, oh, yeah, that's a fox. And then I can bring him back to me and, you know, tell him and no, no, no. But. Yeah, the very first time I stuck his nose in a cat track, he just went bananas and followed it to a tree. I mean, it just, you didn't have to train him how to do that. Awesome. It is cool. I I hunted over hounds for bear that two years ago, that bear hunt. And I had been bait hunting, um, which was fine and great as I got, you get to observe and, you know, watch so many bears that way. Mm -hmm. But once I did, I knew it was going to happen too. Once I did the hound, I was like, this is the only way to do this. And I can only imagine, like, the lion hunt for me, if, if someone puts a gun to my head and says tomorrow you get one hunt left, like, it's a lion hunt for me. That's where I've come down on. And with with hounds, with the way you guys do it out there, it's just, I just, it's just nonstop excitement. And as soon as they start, like, game, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And if you decide to follow them on <laughs> foot the whole way, it's so cool. Because yeah. you're almost guaranteed, even as someone that, you know, hunts my part of what, southwest Montana a lot, you cut that dog loose, and if you're going to follow him, because sometimes you can drive a truck around or a snowmobile around and, yeah. and cut some distance off, but if you just go and follow that track, wherever your dog leads you, you're going to go to country that you've almost guaranteed you've never been in before. Yeah. And it's, that's, again, you just, like, it's adventure. You know, that's totally. what I love about that, that a lot of it about that hunt is that you cut that dog loose and you don't, there's no expectation. 
you just uh, the only thing you can expect is that you're gonna go and see something you haven't seen probably have to climb up some crazy you know yeah. cliff side that maybe you weren't you know what i mean it's just it's never the path of least resistance no, like no. when you and i look at a hill yeah. you're gonna easily choose like let's go up the draw because yeah. that's the easy way to get up yeah. there but the cat and the dog don't go that no, way they do you not. know so uh yeah, it's just like you're almost guaranteed adventure, and and that's what I, re- I really like about the uh, about chasing hounds. You're in grizzly territory over there. We are, but uh, you know, luckily during lion season, the grizz are sleeping, and so they they are consistently. So even if you guys get a warm spell, they won't come out of it. I mean, they could for sure. Like this, we had a warm spell over the holidays this year, and uh, I cut a black bear track. Um, that was just out and about for a, for a walk. Um, but, uh, it, you know, they're so probably drowsy and sleepy. Um, I don't know. That's I mean, the only thing that would give me hesitation out there. It just. Yeah, no, during mountain, during mountain lion season, you don't have to think That's about good. it. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's for relief. To no, know. now if you're out there in the woods uh, making cow calls. Yeah. In September. You, that happened to you in your your spot? Not yet. Um, I've had plenty of encounters with grizzly bears, um, but uh, I have not called one in yet. I did call in some mountain lions. Did you see that little video yep. we posted a couple of yeah, years ago? I did see it. Turkey hunt. It just came up again recently. Yeah, the last couple of weeks. yeah. Onyx reposted okay, it. That's who it was. But uh, uh, the cat thing happens a lot. Little cats and big cats. Right. It seems, and in Florida now a lot too. With the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the Cougars. Yeah. You may run into that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to see it, man. All that stuff makes our world seem so wild, you know, when you start to think it's so vanilla or, yeah. or kind of boring, and then all of a sudden you have a giant cat walk in front of you, you're like, okay. <laughs> it was scary enough. I was in Kansas and I had a bobcat run at me. I yeah. was sitting there hanging calls. Holy crap. I couldn't imagine making, having it 10 times bigger. Like yeah, and a bobcat's uh, formidable. Like, yeah, you don't want one jumping on you nope. and and thinking you're a turkey. Nope, not at all. Because they be- don't stop. They're like Tasmanian devils, man. They just keep going until they realize it's like a shark. I'm gonna bite you until I realize you're not what I want. But by then, it's too late. You're already bleeding. <laughs> you already got a big hole in your side. That's I. I told Gilbert earlier when we were talking trapping. Like a lot of the reasons besides having kids that I stopped running a lot of my upland sets when I was phasing out of trapping a lot. Was because I was in New Hampshire. We can't trap and kill cats, and all of a sudden there's this population boom, and I have to let these stupid things go. And the bobcats, yes, and the first few sets of bobcats that I wasn't prepared. I didn't have a. I was always told by the guys that I watched and learned from, like not to use a certain catch pole because their windpipes are fragile, and they may run off, but they'll die because you end up breaking it right with those catch poles. Mm. So I never used that. I knew of the boards, the release board, but I never had one prepared because I just had never encountered bobcats. But I always had my jet sled that I'd bring all my tools out because I'd walk. I didn't have a motorized thing, so I'd walk miles. And, you know, you put a jet sled over a big ass cat a couple times. You're like, this is not worth my effort anymore because the thing just wants to destroy you. And and yet when it's under your ass, you feel like it will kill you if he gets you. And all you're trying to do is like, dude, I'm just trying to let you go. I told the CEO, I was like, it would be so much easier and faster if I in a 22 shell would be cheaper than this effort. And they just look at me and they know but it's crazy. I want no part of a bobcat. <laughs> I'm good. I'll shoot one if it's legal. I would yeah. love to hunt them or do them with dogs were legal. But I incidental catches. No, thanks. I'm good. 
That sucks. Dude, I got, I killed one, my first one last year over my buddy's dogs. Um, we actually filmed it and, and the show, I don't know when this is planned on airing, but uh, I think that episode is going to air like mid-March-ish. So, so coming up here, no, early March. Um, so like a couple of weeks away. But anyways, he said, this is a, this is a bobcat of a lifetime. And I said, what's well, the bobcat of a lifetime? You should shoot it. Cause I just look up in the tree. I just see bobcat. Sure. You know, I've only seen two in my life and he goes, no, I've already killed two once in a lifetime bobcats. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. I get it. All right. I'm shooting. I'll take it. But he's like, you got to get it mounted. I'm like, well, I'm not really a taxidermy guy. You know, mm. it's just not my thing. Like I have just skull mounts everywhere and you know, a few just hand hides hanging coincidentally clay newcomb had been hanging out with john hayes um up there in uh Kalispell, montana who makes these things called soft pillow they're mounts. awesome you know what i'm talking I know about exactly what you're talking about they're unreal i mean it's literally, it's literally a pillow yeah like you can use it as a pillow and then take a nap on but it. but they i feel like they look realer than the mannequin the full body no somehow they do and the cool thing about it is it's got annealed wire running all through the body all the, way, the only part that's hard is its head. Right. Everything else is kind of squishy and it has annealed wire as the frame. So you can actually bend its Manipulate legs, it, yeah. bend its body and basically make any pose you want right. out of it. And I'm telling you, I was like, all right. I was like, John, as long as it can be interactive, like I'm in. And he's like, 100%. He's like, it's not going to last as long. But I'm like, I don't care. If, if people touch it and mess with it and get to have this experience with this animal, even though it's dead. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's worth it to me if it wears out in five years, you can go get another one. You know, it's a renewable resource. Did every person, kids especially, but even adults, I take that thing off. The, <laughs> it's just sitting on the top shelf of a bookcase. And I pull that thing down and I just like throw it at them, you know, and they're scared at first, but then they feel it and the softness of yeah. it. And then they start checking it out and they feel the claws and how sharp they are. And they look into those. I mean, the eyes on the taxidermy animals are incredible. Yep, yep. You know, they look at that and. I mean, I've seriously had kids sit on my couch with that thing in their lap and they pet it, <laughs> pet it. for hours <laughs> and like they're captivated. And I'm like, it's a win. It's an awesome. Bow. It's a win. Like they're so into wildlife right now, even though it's a dead animal. Yeah. But like they're making some sort of a connection yeah. and they have an appreciation and it's way cool. And I don't think it's going to turn them into like a, you know, some kind of person that hopefully wants to, you know, they, I hope they want to protect wild animals, but not in the PETA kind of protect sure. wild animals, you know, but they, uh, yeah, again, it gives them that interaction with that, with that wild animal that otherwise you're not going to get close to a bobcat ever. No, there's no way to do it. You don't want to. You know what I mean? What's the get on that? If you don't mind me, I haven't priced it out. Was, what what like, did that run me? Yeah. Because my wife is not going to listen to this podcast. So I will go ahead. You can just put, flash numbers. Yeah, I can put it out there. No, it's, <laughs> Link you, twice. everybody should know. I don't even know. Again, I'm not a taxidermy guy, uh, so I don't know what stuff costs. That amount was fourteen hundred bucks. That's not bad. Actually, that's probably reasonable. I feel like my area most people that are doing full body mounts on small mammals like bobcat and coyotes are like starting 1800 okay. for mannequins so that's yeah. good i was wondering because you're not using that mannequin material you're not having to condition the mannequin shave it uh, do any alterations to it set well you do got to set eyes and earbuds i guess for that mannequin because it's a mannequin head yeah but the rest of it's malleable so there's less material that's good to know that's i would do that i would do that way before i do a mannequin full body on oh they're like so that. cool they're way it's cool. like i said it's like when you get sick of it being on the bookcase you can 
now he's in sort of like a, I'm just chilling here with my front paws hanging yeah. off the edge, back legs hanging off. Well, if all of a sudden I just want to put him in the corner, I can make him like, I can just put him like in a sitting dog yeah, position. Right? <laughs> yeah. With his front legs between his, between yeah. his back legs and just sitting there in just the corner. Staring at you. It'll man. be way cool. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. The wolf ones I've seen guys throw them up over their bodies and walk, you know, their shoulders and walk around it. You'd swear they just killed it and brought it right out of the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The coyotes look real good too. Yeah. So that's cool. No, it's, uh, I like it. I like all my nature, uh, tokens, um, memoirs, whatever I've saved, you know, I, I like it all to be interactive. You know, I don't want it to be a hands-off kind of a thing. I want people that can come into my house and like my big horn sheep that I was so lucky to draw a tag for and hunt. <laughs> I wanted that sheep to just be in just the skull because it's yet to fail me. You come over and I hand that thing over to you and you hold it. And I don't know how many bighorn sheep skulls you've held, but anybody that hasn't holds it and and their jaw drops because they can't believe how heavy massive they are. Yeah. I mean, the size, sure. It's not like a giant ram by size, but the thing weighs 26 pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's like people go, wow, it's like so dense and so heavy. And of course, like how do they carry around forever? And it's just great that people can, again, interact with uh, nature in that way. I like that. You can't really pick a shoulder mount up off the wall, right? And screw around with it. No. Again, like if you're into it, great. One day, maybe if I do shoulder mount, I've been thinking about this. Again, I probably won't do elk because they're just too dang big. You just you need to live in a house that looks like this uh, yeah. exhibit, exhibit hall. But um, like maybe a deer. But if I do a buck, I'm going to do a doe right next to him. Yeah. So you can see the male and the female. And I think that gives it a real like, um, you know, natural science museum kind of a yeah. feel when you're like, oh, that's what a male looks like. That's what a female looks like. You're going to create a, a natural history museum when you do it for the yeah. purpose of education. Well, and I was going to say, I, Helen was actually telling me about how one of the fellows, I think it might have been the fellow that you were interviewing alongside her that morning. Jason Hart. Yeah. Jason Hart has like this amazing old school antique camo collection and he was going in debt telling her about it in depth and she's (laughs) like like yeah it's a full-on museum like i'd love to see that total it's all i don't want to be the curator but i would love to go to his house (laughs) and check it out like it'd be great you know you you guys should talk to him that's a that's a turkey story for for days it would be amazing and very little coaching because he just goes he can talk oh my god it's awesome (laughs) he's one of my very dear friends and and the man is just put a microphone and say hey uh here's this here's the subject i'm on it and he goes and he's fantastic and he's wildly entertaining cool and he's got the he it's not a put on it's he he went to clemson for wildlife science or i forget what it was but he went for biology so, I mean, he's got the science background. He's got the industry background. The guy's just a turkey nut. And, yeah, he, he appreciates the history and the culture around it. And he's a collector, hardcore collector. So, yeah, he's he'd be a good one for you guys to get up with and, and get some turkey stories from. He did his 49 States Super Slam, finished uh, in West Point with the Masio guys, where he started his whole career. So, that there's all these intertwining great storylines that come together for 49 in one of the hardest states, the one that's hitting a population decline with those guys and this is it's just really cool and now he's back back with them you know working for them full time awesome yeah 
Oh. Do you know how many people have done that 49 state slam now? So there's plenty of people that have done it, but officially you have to like do, register. You know, yeah, you have to register with us. And there's a process. You can go online and register those birds. It's a small donation that comes in, maybe three, five bucks a bird or something like that. Um, so there's plenty of guys out there saying I've done a 49 state super slam, but officially have they done it? No. Um, Tom Petrie. Uh, Washington State a few years back wrote his first volume of the Turkey Men that chronicled registered 49 state super slams. That's mm. what it was on. And they needed a, a volume number two. So like the first one off the top of my head, I, I know for sure Rob Keck was in that. Um, uh, our second CEO. That Jeff Buds guy kind of seems to come up when yep, this conversation. Buds, Buds has done it. Buds, He's yeah. in that first one. And there's a second volume. And I dare say I heard there might even be a volume three out or is coming. Um, but yeah, Tom Petro wrote those books. No, to look into that. He's a trout guy. He got nothing in. He's got nothing in on turkeys, but he was just fascinated. But people were like chasing turkeys all over the country. Have you guys ever? Uh, I know we got to go because we're running late. But uh, Steve and you guys, you guys hang out in Alaska a lot. Do you guys have any opinion on turkeys in Alaska? It's like, is there a spot like southernmost, like Juneau South, that could handle it? I've heard people have released them. I've never seen anything come of it. But. Yeah, I've heard that too. That there's always <laughs> like this, you know, ghost population mm-hmm. somewhere way southeast. I mean, you know, if they make it there on their own, I think I'd be I'd be a cheerleader. I don't know if we need to try to put them there. I if, feel like it, someone's going to make a go of it. If they're not, because they're not native there, right? No. We don't have any sort of, they're not native even in, in Where some you of the live. lower 48. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in my state. Um, so do I, do I need them in Alaska? No. I mean, if they end up there, you know, great. As long as they're not hurting I, any is, other wildlife. But. Can they, is it hospitable to them though? Cause like there's only I, yeah. so far off, they move up the Canadian provinces and they kind of just like the population density. Yeah. All of a sudden you get 20 miles or whatever it is North and there's like no one living there. Everyone yeah. lives in the South parts of those provinces. Right. I would imagine that they'd be able to make it in, unless for some reason it's just too wet, that coastal yeah. climate. Cause obviously wet springs are tough yeah. on the poults, but again, it's so uh, mild and temperate right. that maybe they could make it through. Even if it's a wet, it's a good, spring. it's a good Doc Chamberlain question. If yeah, it's not exa- been proposed. Exactly, he'd be the one to yeah. be that opinion. So Alaska's cool enough as it is without yeah. turkeys. But. Well, then, so naturally, people would be like, "Well, what would it outcompete?" Yeah, you know. So what? What ground birds? What nesting birds? What food yeah. source are they going to take from it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not at all uh, saying we should get rid of them in, in Montana, but I, I like to see, you know, kind of the native range of species, you know. Yeah, I love hunting them in Montana. It's super They're fun. pretty. It's beautiful country. Yeah. And those birds, those Miriams out there, there's something just so awesome about those birds and that that, that yeah. environment. They're gorgeous. See, I think it's it's probably a, a matter of where what you're more familiar with because, mm. I mean, I love hunting them out west, but when I go to the eastern hardwoods and hunt the eastern, somehow it just feels more right Well, some more of a callback for you growing up like you said in indiana right? yeah i didn't hunt turkeys growing up and and in michigan like i said i'm I'm 45 now and i started hunting turkeys right around 30 years of age Mm. and um so i didn't hunt turkeys as a kid we would see them every now and then on our wisconsin property um but just just from my personal experience, like when I go to those hardwoods and uh, that heavy, deep, that that eastern gobble 
Well, I don't know. I'm sure it's it's arguable and people would debate me, but I just feel like it rattles my chest more than a Merriam's gobble does. And maybe it has something to do with the the makeup of the woods and, and what trees are in there and the fact that there's those dry leaves on mm. the forest floor. But um, I don't know. That's what I love. I agree with you. I love it. They Those Merriam's, they do have that barnyardy sound to them, don't they? Right. They're kind of slow rollers. I still like it. I'm not. Oh, complaining. Listen, I'm going to hunt them till the day I but, die. But. but when you're sitting there and you're amongst the, the, the oaks and the beach and that bird is like 20 yards and he just lets rip and you're like, oh, I, I would imagine it is what you guys go through when an elk is real close and screams and bugles in your face. Because that's I've never done it, but that's what that feels like to me. And my heart every friggin' time is right here. Hundred percent, hundred percent. People like to say they're they're dissimilar, and and there's certainly a lot of uh, ways they're not the same. But man, uh, I certainly get almost as fired up having a gobbler blowing me up at twenty yards yeah. as I do with a bull elk doing the same thing. You yeah. know, it's intense. It's intense. And yeah, I wouldn't do it otherwise. No, and then you wouldn't. And you you know, it would be just like that line and. 10th legion then when you know when it stops stop having that reaction hang it up hang it it's up. over yeah yeah and that's when it's time to go uh mentor people because yeah i feel like you like you were saying you just feel way more pressure and all of a sudden like your heart is doing a different thing when you're having to guide somebody or you know not necessarily for money but just guide somebody right, right? it's a lot of you know you feel the pressure and the responsibility you want them to be successful right. and all of a sudden uh it brings that uh that buck fever right back for sure no doubt dude this was fun Why yeah not? we went for, long thanks, thanks for, for having me on yeah this was good i hope uh sounds like you got what you guys came for and, and hopefully it's a, a fun thing that continues at least for our next couple couple of conventions and you guys come back and curate more good stories and help help with that recorded history that's good yeah stuff. this was my first uh first convention oh it was i didn't yeah. know this was your first yeah first oh, turkey convention you were spoiled this yeah. was amazing oh it was great it was great. Yeah. Tell I, your yeah. friends, bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> people, uh, people will know about uh, me being here for sure. No, I'll, I'll be hyping it up. It was, it, it was great, uh, man. I got it. Like, I know we got to go, but watching those pros call. Yeah. Like if you're into calling, yeah. it's something, it's amazing. And how those judges can, I mean, they kept saying it like, Oh, we're splitting hairs to pick a winner here. Mm -hmm. And how they can do it, I don't know. Um, but it's it's so like uh, the variety and then the perfection in they don't mess up any call. They don't. Sometimes, they got they got 50 calls and they can just nail every single one. Sometimes those guys sound better than the real thing. Oh, yeah. And freely sure. admit it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. A whole nother subculture for you guys to dive deeply into and get mountains of content out of because that stuff is Whew. that's deep it is and they is. and those people love it i know many of them and they're just that's their sport that's you know some people are good at football baseball they're good at turkey calling yeah yeah no i've heard it from a few of them that i've talked to over the weekend they call every day <sighs> that's a lot <laughs> I, I right. like turkey hunt let's leave it at that yeah huh? this was awesome thanks <laughs> yeah. so much appreciate thanks, it Thanks again to uh, Giannis for making the time. I know we had uh, schedules got crossed and then we worked around it. He got what he needed. We were able to bring him in, bring him to, to this audience. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know once I got home, 
with that conversation pretty fresh on my mind. My office, some of you guys have seen the behind uh, the backdrop here in my my office slash studio and where I work from, where I do a lot of my my podcast recording. But what you don't see is what's in front of me. And that is feathers galore, memories galore. And it got me thinking about my affinity to collect uh, for collecting. And uh, I like it, man. And I don't think I'm going to stop. It was fun to to talk about that and just kind of get get a different perspective. Um, went down to my my little taxidermy shop in my basement where I do the work that I do. Uh, my euros and turkey fans and turkey capes and, and preserving some of those memories and, and some of the smaller upland birds that I can tackle. And um, man, I got a pile of work I got to get done. Um, and most of it's mine <laughs> and my kids, uh, everyone else's work has pretty much been returned to them, but, um, collections, what a fun conversation, probably a bigger conversation to be had for another show, another time. Um, I, I'm looking around here as I'm, as I'm talking into the mic, just looking at all the things I've collected. Uh, my wife certainly appreciates them all being in one <laughs> area of the house, but you know, from my military days and paraphernalia and items and my coin collection there and just all the hunting memories and relics. But uh, it's how I relive and, and retain memories and storytell. I can look at most of the items in here and, and harken back to a moment in my time and my history. And then uh, furthermore, get to people uh, I had those experience with. So yeah, it takes up space, but uh, you know, where I don't have that space in my gray matter anymore. This stuff, uh, this stuff allows me to recall that. So anyway, I'm going on a, <laughs> on a rant again, but, uh, thanks again to, uh, to Giannis for making the time. It was fun. And, uh, hopefully we can get, get him back out here in the East and, uh, pick up where we were gonna pick up two years ago before COVID. Um, that'll be a lot of fun. Anyway, guys, it's been a lot of fun. That is a wrap. That's it. That's our convention coverage. As far as the podcast goes, there is a ton of entertaining stuff on our social platforms and our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and subscribe. We were uh, experiencing this huge community blow up on that platform, which is fantastic. Uh, and we'd like to see that continue. Well into uh, turkey season 2023, we're going to bring you more stuff going into the spring. But right now, uh, we're getting all the seminars up, uh, shorts, different reels, you know, of, of things. There's so much content we haven't even released yet just because there's so much of it. Um, and we're definitely excited for you guys to see it. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, NWTF Online. Subscribe to it. You'll get notifications when new content goes up. Cuz's campfire stories uh, went up. That was really well received. The hunting public guys are up there. Uh, the two docs are up there, uh, given a status of wild turkey science. Uh, soon to come, uh, the Primos seminar. All the seminars will get up there in due time. Uh, you know, it takes a little time to to edit those down, produce them amongst you know the day to day ops. So rest assured, it's coming. If you missed any of the seminars, you'll be able to get them. And as far as I know, this is the first time we've been able to um, 
capture all that and then bring it to you all. So I hope you enjoy it. Comment, subscribe, uh, share, like, all of it. Do all of it. Send our story out far and wide. If you're following us, you're part of our community. We know who you are and, and we're glad you're here. You can take your engagement a step further by showing your friends, your family, the people you influence on your end, who we are, what we do, what our mission is, what our passions are. And, you know, maybe you on your, your end with your audience, with that phone in your pocket, uh, have the capability and the ability to, to change someone's heart and mind or, or just have, be, have them be curious enough to engage you, ask questions. And the next thing you know, they're part of us and that's cool. So, uh, Thanks for the riding along with us for convention, the coverage. Go check it all out. You know where to go. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Little differences uh, here and there. They're not all cookie cutter the same. So if you want to catch all, the, all of it, do, do, do yourself a favor. Follow, like, subscribe. And the same thing with the podcast. Subscribe right where available. All, po all podcast platforms share these stories out with your friends post them on your timelines post them on your outlets so that other people can see and hear and enjoy we thank you for everything you do 67,000 plus people came to nashville record shattering breaking record setting all good stuff one heck of a way to just storm into year 50 the the golden anniversary of the nwtf uh one hell of a party was had uh and again you can continue to relive that by by checking this stuff out and uh can't wait to see what 2024 has in store for us as we ride this uh birthday year this 50th anniversary year uh into nashville a year from now until next time Y'all take care of each other. Be kind. Love each other. Those going to field, starting in Florida, be safe. Shoot straight. Get home safely. We'll see you soon. Regularly, regularly scheduled programming returns post uh, convention podcast right here. And we're back on our bi-weekly offering. So uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. 
Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com.